Welcome to the Montague Reporter Podcast. My name is Sarah Brown Anson, and as usual, I am here with Montague Reporter Managing Editor, Mike Jackson. Hi, Mike. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for doing this podcast again. You always say that. You're welcome. (laughs) I'm very grateful. Yeah. Hello to all of our listeners. All 35 of you, our very loyal listeners. Spread the word. (laughs) So I want to start out with the news that the Daily Hampshire Gazette will no longer be actually printing the Montague Reporter. Um, So can you tell us more about that and what it means for the future of the newspaper? Yeah, well, a few weeks ago, we and the rest of the world got word that the Gazette is shutting down its press in Northampton and nine full-time and 20 part-time Um, jobs are being lost there in one shot. I believe that the 21st of July is their last day in operation. And our next issue uh, is scheduled to come out the 23rd of July. So, um, you know, we've had a long long run with them. Uh, That paper has been, I think, printing for 223 years itself in Northampton. And uh, since 2012, so a little bit more than eight years, um, we've been printed there as well. And I've been in talks with um, with some other regional printers. There's fewer and fewer um, as this goes along. This was a press that was a, a half hour from our office in Turner's Falls, and uh, we will definitely be printed further away. We haven't um, quite reached a solid deal, but I, I've been in talks with one printer in particular who I'm, I'm feeling optimistic about, and I'm feeling optimistic that uh, we'll, we'll have something... Um, put in place uh, in, in time to not miss our next issue. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really sad about the loss of jobs in Northampton. Um, what are the bigger picture trends going on right now that caused this to happen at the Gazette? Well, you know, the, the vaunted death of print or the threatened death of print, certainly. Um, you know, everyone's, uh, everyone's print subscription numbers are down. Um, you know, over over the last twenty plus years, uh, at least partly due to the online, um, but you know, there's there's I think other factors mixed in there as well. Uh, just definitely, it's you know, it's it's hard. It's a it's a difficult industry um, to be in right now, and uh, I think that you know, it's a surprise to some of us being outside of that company. So it's Newspapers of New England, um, which. Uh, owns a number of papers in New Hampshire and Massachusetts, um, including the Greenfield Recorder, the Athol Daily News, um, which are both close by, uh, the Valley Advocate, and um, Amherst Bulletin are all under the same roof. So um, they are going to be outsourcing, it looks like, their, uh, their printing now to Gannett, which is a national chain, um, one of the few big mega national newspaper companies. Um, and they've already been outsourcing um, some of their ad business um, and some, some kind of related stuff to Gannett. So this is a step in that direction. But, you know, I, I have to say a lot of us are, are surprised because the perception and I believe actual statements, you know, made by their publishers um, have been that the commercial press uh, has been kind of subsidizing the newsroom side of their operations and that was just a big new press that they built in 2008 and built a whole addition onto their building to do it i don't i don't know what things look like inside that company but uh you know certainly not 
a good sign that that's happening, and, you know, I don't know what they're going to do next, but I, I guess we're all watching at this point. I mean, to some extent, I am a total outsider when it comes to the newspaper scene or the media scene in Western Mass, but I, I feel like I have a stake in it, and I'm really concerned about newspapers of New England. They serve Franklin and Hampshire counties so much, and they're such a vital part of civic life here. So the, the direction that they go in and cuts that they make in terms of their newsrooms and to some extent their advertising and, and their business model really is concerning. So yeah, I'm concerned about the trajectory and, and where we're headed. Yeah, and you know, I've always seen them as, um, you know, colleagues uh, rather than competitors. Mm -hmm. um, the the press folks have really gone above and beyond to do a good job for us. There's been a number of times, um, you know, in the in the course of my involvement with the Montague Reporter when uh, they'll actually spot an, an error of some sort, even if it's as simple as just, you know, a pagination error, the mm -hmm. date is wrong on a page or something. and They'll catch it and they'll give me a call and you know sometimes in the middle of the night which is good and uh <laughs> you know we'll, we'll fix it having that um you know close and collegial uh, relationship with the folks who are doing the actual printing of our paper has been really positive and you know i hope uh you know i wish the best for all of them first of all and mm -hmm. i hope that that's something that we can establish um you know with with a new printer um, mm -hmm. that we can do business with. Um, you know, we don't have a press of our own. Uh, we joke about it sometimes, but you know, it's really a, a very large capital undertaking. Uh, you know, unless we try and dig up some kind of uh, you know old steam-powered contraption and retrofit it to to have you know a really micro press here in Turner's Falls, which is also a daydream of mine. Sometimes you know we're kind of beholden to something. Um, you know, something of this nature. I, I will say one more thing, which is, you know, um, readers of the Montague Reporter um, for for uh, a long time will know that, you know, we used to have a smaller smaller format newspaper. Mm -hmm. um, from 2002 to 2012, we were printed um, in Brattleboro, Vermont, at the Reformer. Um, we, we moved in 2012, and that's why when we went to a larger format was when we went um, to into business with the Gazette. And just a couple of years after that, um, New England Newspapers, um, which is the other large regional chain, uh, which owns the Berkshire Eagle, moved the press from Brattleboro out to Pittsfield. So um, that's that's also not quite in striking distance um, anymore. Uh, would have been nice to just be able to go go back to Brattleboro, but um, uh, you know, not not a possibility. It will be interesting to see, you know, people share with us periodically news of things happening inside newspapers of New England and um, you know as much as we we try to keep a separation um, between editorial and business concerns um, you know I have to say as a as a managing editor so as someone who's kind of both a publisher and um, in the head of the newsroom uh, here you know there's um, I'm curious whether it'll whether it'll affect my own decisions um, about the newsworthiness of those things, uh, knowing that we're not in business with that company anymore. You know, most of all, um, right now, just uh, wishing heartfelt 
good luck to to all of our colleagues, um, both who are losing their their jobs this month um, and uh, those who are continuing on with that company. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Montague is launching two advisory groups to follow up on the movement to defund or hold police accountable in town. Can you tell us more about these groups and what the town um, envisions for what they will be? Last month, and you know, as far as I can tell, not in response to any particular local happenings or anything in particular um, that happened with the Montague Police Department, um, but rather uh, just kind of like a looking at policing as a whole in the nation. You know, there were a couple of things happened simultaneously locally. Um, you know, there's a pretty big for, for Turner's Falls uh, March down Avenue A, and the same weekend there was a town meeting members uh, made a, a little intervention in the proposed budget that effectively, um, depending on how you look at it, um, froze uh, the police department's total budget to the most recent year's budget levels, um, or cut 2.7% out of the police budget, and you know that doesn't sound like a large cut, but since um, effectively all of the growth was, or um, you know, is growth um, that the town is locked into through union contracts, um, the cuts, uh, you know, are, are actually kind of much deeper out of certain line items. I think that we're going to see a. The the chief said that you know uh, the working budget has a forty uh, percent reduction in the reserve officer line, mm. um, and it was was the largest one. So. Um, you know, they uh, might come back around to special town meeting um, in the spring if, if they run out of money. And, and we'll see at that point, you know, whether whether town meeting does kind of restore them some money. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was kind of a, a major impact um, and I think caught some people off guard um, that it happened. You know, it was uh, done with some coordination among some town meeting members, it looks like. But during the debate, um, at town meeting, people even who opposed it, um, including some of the town officials, said, you know, well, clearly we need to have some kind of uh, bigger, more inclusive, um, and more in-depth public discussion of policing here and, and what is and wasn't, isn't working for, for people. So this is, um, you know, kind of the outgrowth of that happening. And yeah, they're, they're in the process of, they're calling for volunteers um, to put together these um, kind of twin committees that'll that'll do some work for for looks like a couple months and report back to, to the select board with recommendations um, I noticed they're looking for volunteers or at least they were urged to recruit volunteers who have had I guess direct experience with um, or direct contact with police in town and particularly people of color yeah, and you know, in in any case, the the idea is to is that these kind of committees or, or working groups are going to themselves set up larger public forums for for input. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. there's a, there's also I think a hope that um, that some of the diversity of our community is reflected in those groups. Uh, you know, it's important for for outcomes sometimes that that you get the right people in the room to begin with. But uh, this will likely be, you know, an, an ongoing, um, you know, story in town uh, that that I'm expecting we'll be covering, you know, over the next few months as as it kind of uh, runs its course. 
so let's go up the hill to Wendell, um, where uh, town meeting voters approved a one-year moratorium on uh, commercial marijuana business in town. Yep. Um, at their town meeting, uh, they voted to put a moratorium on growing or processing, etc., um, businesses um, that might want to set up in Wendell. And uh, it's an interesting story because, uh, you know, when, uh, when this stuff was legalized and the Cannabis Control Commission, you know, was, was taking its time setting everything up, they really recommended that towns take this step, um, placing a moratorium so that they can revise their bylaws uh, to make sure that whatever happens is, um, you know, in keeping with, with what residents want <laughs> in terms of business development. And, uh, you know, the the Franklin Regional Council of Governments very strongly recommended to towns at the time that they do it. A number of the towns around here did that and did some work with its bylaws. And Wendell, um, you know, didn't. And I kind of raised my eyebrows at the time that they didn't. But I don't know if um, if maybe some town officials thought that doing so they'd be seen as being anti-cannabis anti business, but um, here we are uh, with some, you know, um, business people uh, knocking on Wendell's door already, um, hoping to, to set up some operations up there, and with a fair amount of opposition, also some support, um, but also, you know, opposition um, in town. Jeff Singleton was the reporter for this article, and it, he brought some really interesting context to Wendell and their historical support for marijuana legalization. Uh, it turns out for like a short amount of time, they instruct a town police not to enforce any marijuana laws, um, but that, you know, was retracted, I guess, after a year. And then I wonder, I wonder what you thought as an editor of the kind of like comparison that Jeff made or like the extra context that he provided around um, solar in town. Like what does solar have to do with marijuana? It is uh, interesting, you know, uh, Wendell's not known for, for being a, an anti-marijuana town overall. Uh, they, they've had a lot of back and forth with the state over, uh, you know, helicopter flyovers. Um, basically have, have had town officials several times um, say, you know, these helicopters are not welcome here. Um, or, you know, you have to notify us when, when it's happening. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, most recently, um, you know, there was a, a case where there was a, a backyard um, during that window of time when... Um, medicinal cannabis growing was permitted. Um, someone had a little backyard grow um, that was busted and uh, got a lot of um, sympathy statewide for, you know, being a case of people kind of trying to follow the spirit of the law, um, but, but still getting busted by the state. And uh, um, I've got a letter on my wall from the Yes on 4 committee from 2016 thanking the Montague reporter for covering that case and saying that from their perspective, it was it was one of the things that, that tipped um, that legalization referendum in, in their favor. Um, that was a real printout and hang on the wall one for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the other context uh, is is the solar um, solar arrays, and uh, Jeff and I kind of uh, went back and forth on on whether to label his his piece when it came in as kind of a, a news analysis piece because this um, you know really was um, you know brings in kind of a 
some some implicit um, speculation about about people's motivations here or just you know what the sequence was but Mm -hmm. um, I I felt that ultimately you know it was directly relevant um, context so Mm -hmm. um, you know last year there was a a similar situation where um, someone came and you know Wendell's not anti-solar panels either but someone came and wanted to to build a big solar array and they said oh no our, our bylaws you know don't really well address this kind of thing and um, they last fall um, town meeting in Wendell passed a, a 15 month moratorium on uh, medium and large scale solar development. So they went through this whole kind of um, process around uh, um, putting a putting a moratorium on that so that the planning board can revise those bylaws. And I think maybe that prompted um, conversation uh, around the course of Wendell's development and, you know, what, what appropriate development is in that rural of a community. Um, and that was kind of the, the context ringing in people's ears when uh, Apple Guy Flowers LLC came knocking and, and wanted to, to set up, uh, not not a large grow, really. we're talking 25 to 50 plants, supposedly. But, you know, uh, people at that point said, oh, well, we don't really have the bylaws that can, can address this. And... Um, so now they're now they're enacting a moratorium, and, and it's unclear whether um, whether this moratorium is, is legal. That's going to be a determination that the state attorney general has to make um, whether they can even do this at this point because they did uh, miss the recommended window for doing that. So kind of a interesting timing. Do you have a non sequitur, Mike? Yeah, my my non sequitur is you know I'm going right now into into the second of our um, of our weeks off. Um, we uh, publish bi-weekly in July and August. It's one of the big perks around here. Um, we mm-hmm. get kind of these five vacation weeks, um, which makes some things uh, a little more difficult to to plan for in the paper. Uh, but so be it. It's well worth it for us to all have some downtime. Mm-hmm. Well, it is well-deserved, more than well-deserved, and I hope that you, your staycation dreams come true. Thank you. Even if you're not going anywhere, because it's kind of hard to go somewhere these days. It, it feels good to, to clean or, like, get a, re, a reboot on a living space, so, and I, I definitely know that firsthand, too. I'm painting a bunch of the walls in my apartment, and so far that's just meant putting a lot of masking tape on, a lot of trim, but uh, <laughs> week two, I hope, I'll, I'll make some real headway. Um, well, two of the rooms, uh, one of the bedrooms and uh, my kind of living room slash kitchen um, are going to be a shade called helium, so uh, that's probably as much as anything um, shows where, where my mindset is and, and what I'm craving in my life. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. What color is helium? Uh, light. Light and bright. Okay, nice. A very slightly greenish, slightly bluish white. Green, a greenish, bluish white? (laughs) (laughs) I will be Googling after this because I'm very curious. Okay, do you want to hear my non-sequitur? It's also very light. Absolutely. All right. So I'm just going to read this, and then um, if either of us has reactions, then we should express them. This is from the local briefs in the July 9th paper that we're discussing today. Um, The TV show American Pickers is scouting around New England for antique 
pickers to feature this fall. According to their press release, the hit show follows Mike and Frank, two of the most skilled pickers in the business, as they hunt for America's most valuable antiques. Along the way, the pickers want to meet characters with remarkable and exceptional items. If you or someone you know has a large private collection or accumulation of antiques that the pickers can spend the better part of a day looking through, send your name, phone number, location, and a description and photos of the collection to AmericanPickers at CineFlix.com or call 855-OLD-RUST. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. And I can imagine there are probably many people to whom this would apply. Um, so I hope that they I hope that they come to the Montague area. Could be the opportunity of a lifetime for some someone one of our one of our podcast listeners. Um, I will say American Pickers um, has been very assertive in their outreach to our newspaper um, hoping to hoping to get some um, uh, free advanced coverage of this. Um, we kind of shuffled them into local briefs. It is it is a cool thing and a cool opportunity. Um, uh, these folks have um, emailed uh, me extensively, um, <laughs> called me on the phone with follow-ups. Um, you know, are, are definitely um, interested in, in seeing us um, help them out. So uh, there we go. Um, <laughs> We pumped it in the pod and local briefs, uh, and yeah, if you've got a, a barn full of junk, um, now now's your time. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh, Mike! Like, how many barnfuls of junk are out there? There's there's a lot. There's a lot. I am sure. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Montague Reporter podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review if you haven't already. You can buy the Montague Reporter newspaper at a local business, or better yet, subscribe on our website, montaguereporter.org. Thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for doing our music. And as always, thank you to Greenfield Community Television for technical support. Spread the word about this podcast. Uh, like and review us if you're an Apple person getting your podcast there. And uh, if you've got exciting ideas um, or uh, potential guests for the podcast, um, get in touch too. Oh yeah, for sure. Email us at podcast at montaguereporter.org or give us a call at 413-863-8666. 